Welcome back. My name, as always, is Andy, because my parents named me that. And you're listening to the Poor Pearls Almanac, and we're talking we're talking bees. Yeah, and what it seems like all bees all the time right now, because how many episodes are we in on this? We're, we're pretty busy bees, I'll say that. Okay, so that's the buzzword of the day? See, I can do it too. Well done. Yeah, more applause. That's a, that's a clap, yeah, it's a that's slow beautiful. Clap. I'll take it. It's a good slow clap. The slow claps are the best. There's a lot of thought in those. Today we're talking about the not literal parasite of the bee world, and that's drones. Drones, uh, you know, they, they drone on, first off, but they're also known as, more importantly, as being male bees. They basically live, they fuck, and then they die. That's basically been their story since we've studied bees. But is it accurate? Yes. Hopefully, if I'm someday fortunate enough to move up the karmic scale or whatever it's called, chain, pyramid, is it a pyramid? Is karma a pyramid scheme? No, it's a cycle. It's a, it's a, it's a giant, it's a giant okay. circle. Okay. It just, yeah. eternal return, buddy. So if I can cycle my way into being a drone, that'd be uh, well appreciated. Yeah, I just got this weird picture in my head of like, uh, you know, you die and you go to the, the pearly gates or whatever imagery you want to use. And there's just this being standing there with like one of the bingo machines with the ping pong balls in it. And he just pulls out, they, they just pull out a ball and it's whatever animal you're going to be reincarnated next. And like you get drone and you're just like, yes. <laughs> Everyone's jealous of that guy. Anyways, let's get into drones. Okay. I'm feeling the energy. Let's, let's do it. Let's do it. Like drones do. Like drones Mindless. do. Mindless. Hive mind. Mindless. Hive mind. They don't even enjoy it. It's their job. Uh, oh, they enjoy it. Don't worry. They're doing it. It's okay. At this point, I really am in drone mode. Um, I just want to get through the rest of this episode. Maybe I can like channel the hive mind and just like get this um, done because I feel like we've just been droning on about bees. You know who else has been droning on, Elliot? You're going to do it, aren't Raytheon. you? Raytheon. Yeah. I knew I walked right into that. Yeah, you did. Just like those poor Afghani kids. Oh, God. <laughs> I'm, so I'm sorry, everyone. Yeah, drones. We're talking about the other drones, the bees. The traditional understanding of drones is that they exist basically because the queen has to mate. You know, they, they don't do anything else. They eat, they don't harvest pollen, they don't protect the hive. They just basically hang out. So it sounds like they're like the bee equivalent of like a deadbeat dad. They're like a deadbeat dad. I did it again. <laughs> yeah, you, you do. So is this true? Well... Sort of. So, like, drones can act often as a, from a beekeeper's perspective, as a, a canary in a coal mine. So they can indicate a lot of problems going on within the hive before they get worse. The things you can pay attention to, are there tons of drones flying around in the fall? Are there a lot of dead drones lying outside? Okay, so the dead bee dads get kicked out. Yeah, to uh, to the left, to the left as the the kids say, right? Yeah, and every time you say that, it just, it never ceases to amaze, like you've never had or spoken even your own kids, like. I try not to. They they don't want me to, if it makes you feel better. I guess that's kind of true. They really do like hanging out with their mom. Yeah. The point is, like, as we watch these drones, we can we can pick up a lot of things before we even get into a hive. And as we'll talk about later on, we really don't want to go in hives, like, almost at all. 
So if you're seeing them outside in August or September, that's not a good sign. It means the hive is kicking them out to save their food stores. Ultimately, what they're doing is they're preparing for like a famine. Your hive is probably going to collapse if you see this. Like you're going to come in the spring and they're going to be gone. So paying attention to your drones in this way means you're not going to have to crack open your hive and see what's going on, which obviously is a bad thing. Like any home ripping off the roof is not going to be a good thing for it, right? So the fewer times we have to do that for our bees, the better for their overall health. Okay, so if they don't have enough food, it seems like the parasites in the hive get sort of kicked out, anybody that doesn't pull their weight. So that seems kind of fair, right? Yeah, and those aren't the only parasites that uh, drones are really good for uh, finding indicators of. But they are a good indicator of the food thing in particular right off the bat. Okay, so do they get rid of all of the drones or some of them? How do they choose which ones go, which ones stay? They still serve some purpose in the hive, hence why it's a bad thing to see them getting kicked out. Otherwise, I would say every fall you see all of the drones get kicked out, right? But that's not the case. While there are no free rides in nature, drones do seem to get a pretty good, you know, end of the deal here. In that case, you know, understanding that we shouldn't be surprised that the scientists just starting to figure out that maybe the drones are doing more than just like loafing around and eating, right? So first, before we even get into like more of the drone stuff, like what they do, have you ever actually looked at a, a drone before, Elliot? Okay, so I was under the impression that every bee that I've ever seen was probably a drone, but that doesn't sound like it's the case. Yeah, if you've been in a hive, it, like as a somebody like watching another person go into a hive, you've never worked with bees, your first instinct is to think that there's like, if you know the queens are bigger, that like for some reason this hive has like a ton of queens because they're bigger, fluffier bees. Now, in the winter, the benefit of having bigger, fluffier bees is that they're really good at helping keep those those hives warm, right? What they do is they'll basically try to provide something of a blanket over the hive, and that's, you know, obviously a good thing when you live in a cold climate. So by kicking the, the drones out, or most of the drones out early, it's kind of a risky decision, right? And uh, the severity of the winter will really decide whether or not that's like going to be fatal for the hive. And, you know, surprise, usually is. They aren't just useful for the understanding hive health from this perspective, but also their main focus. And the thing we talked about when we were talking about queens, genetic diversity. And, you know, I, I don't think this really gets talked about enough outside of people who actually go and rear queens. Okay, yeah. I, I mean, I don't think that's something I've ever overheard in conversation at my local watering hole, bar, place where I get apps. I don't hear people talking about bees ever. You're the only one. Two bees walk into a bar. Really? I'll make it quick. I want to say no. Come on, be nice. Be nice. Oh my God, tell me about the genetic diversity. Okay, so for folks who don't know, your worker bees, those ladies you got with your bee package, not biologically related to the queen, at least probably not most of them. The worker bees, well, they're probably related, just not closely related. The worker bees born to the queen are obviously related to her. But since they can't produce, they don't really do anything for, like, you know, diversity. It's only the drones born to the queen which carry her genetic code. And just like any other species, you have weak queens, then the genetics can get passed down, and they're likely to be less good for the future of the species, right? If you've got a good queen, well, then it's really important to try to make sure her drones survive, right? Because that's how those genetics get passed on. She's not birthing out new queens, 
she's going to rely on those drones for the most part to um, go and successfully mate with other queens, right? Right. I follow a little bit. Does this really matter for like the average beekeeper or anybody who's just getting into beekeeping? Because I feel like 99% of beekeepers don't raise their own queens and they typically buy queens from like, you know, the bee factories or wherever the hell people get them from. Like the queens have already been impregnated when they get them. Yeah, uh, that's a fair point. And your queen you get with a package is always already mated. Ideally, though, we'd like to see a future which, uh, where we aren't relying on bees from far-off states for new colonies, but ones that have been locally adapted to the climactic conditions and floral species of a region. Again, we're thinking about how to make these bees better equipped for their environment, right? And that's how you build that more resilient beekeeping. Yeah, so I'm just going to parrot the same thing that we've been saying constantly time in and time out, but basically we need to take a more holistic local approach to beekeeping, like damn near everything else. Yeah, I don't think anyone is under the impression that honeybees will be like naturalized really in many parts of the country, uh, even if they do become naturalized in some places. Despite swarms uh, every year, those hives don't often last very long out in the wild. And maybe there is a case to be made that keeping them this week actually helps protect ecosystems in some ways from, you know, having to compete more with uh, native pollinators. But it does raise a lot of questions, and that's probably a conversation for another day. Yeah, Sundays. They're for the buzzy boys, specifically. I know, sorry, it was terrible. I just, I wanted to say it. You're spending too much time with me, buddy. It's okay. I accept you as you are. I don't. We should get divorced. Wow. Wow. That's rude. Anyway, I've already given a dollar to every lawyer in the state, fucker. Is that where our <laughs> Patreon money's been going? <laughs> uh, let's keep going. So what's interesting about drones is that they, they do not carry biological information from their father, just their grandfather. They come from unfertilized eggs and are genetically identical to the queen who laid them. Okay, so they're like weird generation-separated generation identical twins? Yeah, kind of. They're like... Identical twins. Oh, Sorry. Damn even it. for even for me that was bad. Uh what this also means is that if we're breeding queens in specific centralized ways, there just isn't a lot of genetic diversity getting passed around. And this is an issue that breeders are starting to run into. Okay, so I'd imagine this also means even like outside of breeders, that if all of our bees are coming from a couple of dozen genetic pools. Even when folks are trying to keep their own hives local, the selections made by a handful of companies where all the bees come from has a limited like diversity pool available, right? Yeah, exactly. And obviously that's, that's a problem and is probably a part of why our hives are so unhealthy. A queen might mate with up to 20 drones, but these drones are all likely from the same handful of genetics. Again, if we think about how people are breeding bees and queens. This is not just a problem for diversity of genetics, but we also No, have... this is a problem for every royal family. <laughs> ah, ah, yes, that too. Although I am happy those genetics are getting weaker. But with our bees, you know, what we're seeing with the drones is that they're also weaker. They're, they're flying shorter distances to mate. They're flying more slowly. They're struggling to actually mate in comparison to the past. Okay, so I'd like to welcome all my drone friend bees to domestication. It's not great. Uh, we get winded, like I get winded going upstairs sometimes. Bees get winded flying 30 feet instead of a quarter mile. Yeah, you know, they're, they're not running any uh, triathlons, we'll say that. Yeah, me neither. <laughs> Sounds hard. And, 
And, and for uh, a bug that has to live out in nature, obviously, these are not good traits. Now, let's put this genetics issue into context. Most of our bees that are sold as packages come from a handful of producers. There's around eight major producers of bee packages from Georgia, which supplies uh, most of the bees that most beekeepers use east of the Mississippi. So, like, think about that landmass, eight major producers. That's over 60,000 packages. That's 60,000 queens plus an additional 20,000 queens that go out every year. Okay, so that seems like a really good way to make everyone's bees basically the same. Exactly. Basically, what's happening is Italian honeybees are like turning into golden retrievers, but they're, then they're having to go like compete with the wolves, so to speak, out in nature. Yeah, so I don't really see them competing that well with nature, so... Yeah, no, they don't. As a golden retriever owner, no, they, they do not. Part of this is also our intense use of chemicals. So not only are the drones special because of the role they play in keeping the hive warm, genetic information, and the indications that they can give us as beekeepers, we also see some unique things happening when drones are around. For example, they're raised in special cells because they're bigger, and those cells are usually on the outer part of the hive. And so those cells on the outside are probably more expendable or a little bit yeah, more expendable it, than anything it, else closer towards the center? Exactly. Uh, you know, you think about the hive trying to stay warm. If they lose the outside, it's not the biggest deal. They're more concerned about keeping that heat on the inside. And they're also obvious to identify because the cells will bubble out a bit and they look like they kind of need to get popped. So, so then, you know, they're born, uh, they grow up, get ready to mate, head out of the hive and join uh, what's called a drone congregation. Is that like a bee church? Have you heard the good word kind of shit? Yeah, exactly. But not at all. So a drone congregation area, or a DCA, if you want to get technical, is a specific place where male honeybees gather and wait for young queens to visit. They're different from most mating areas because they're high above ground, suspended in the air. All honeybee mating takes place in these areas, never on the ground or in the hive or even near a hive. So the bees have their own, like, mile-high club? It's like Las Vegas. Like, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. All right. Uh, I got no B Vegas versions. Sorry. You're just going to have to accept that I don't have a pun there. I mean, the Mile High Club usually joined that like on the way to Vegas or yeah, leaving that's Vegas. True. But yeah, this is like, um, what's that Zach Galifianakis movie? The Hangover? Is yeah, it's like The Hangover. You're going to call that his movie, huh? Okay. I Listen, I'm shocked that I know who that is. Me All too. Right? I'm, you said it right in everything. I know. I think I only know him because of the Ferns show. Oh, Between Two Ferns is yeah, that. classic. Like, right. I've never watched it, but I remember just seeing, like, a trailer or something. They, they made a whole 90-minute movie out of that one, Wasn't too. Obama on that? Uh, no? The show or the movie? The sh I don't... I didn't know they made a movie, so probably not that one. It's probably the show. I'm hip is the conclusion here, right? Everyone now knows I'm... I'm just going to give it to you. I just want to move right past it. I don't okay. think anybody cares. Okay. <laughs> you're, you're the only one that's hip today. Let's go with that. I'm the hippest one in the room. Andy's the cool one. I You're guess. welcome, everyone. You're yep. welcome. Awesome. So what were we talking about? Bees. Oh, yeah. The bees I, flying around. So like, I think I might have seen one of the DCAs before, the drone congregation areas. Um, it's you like- You heard the good word? No, but it's like um, when just a bunch of bees fly together, like in the bee orgy we talked about. And yeah, oh, yeah, It's literally just an air orgy. It's like air bud, but with sex. And okay. Like, so yeah, it's just a ball of bees flying into each other. Yeah, basically. The term we use that helps explain where these drones came from to the congregate is called drift. We do have some control over the drift of our drones by paying attention to things like 
landscape features which impact the way uh, which drones will fly and ultimately congregate. And while you don't have much control over the bees around you who may have weak genetics, you can control where you put your hive in relation to the other hives in the area and try to help reduce some of that cross-pollination. So lay that sort of map reading drone drift controlling scenario out for me if you don't mind because I'm having a hard time wrapping my head around that. I will. Sort of. But first, commercials. Oh my god, I'm like everybody else. I don't want to wait. Just skip that shit. (laughs) Here at the Raytheon Technologies Corporation, we believe children are the future, just not the ones on the other end of our products. Like our RIM-7 Sea Sparrow anti-aircraft missile system, the most environmentally friendly anti-aircraft missile produced anywhere today. We're mindful of our environmental legacy here, which is why today we're introducing a new line of pollinator-friendly Stinger missiles. This lightweight, portable system includes a native wildflower mix that scatters upon impact. You're welcome, bees. Raytheon. Pack a punch, plant a bunch. Welcome back to the Poor Pearls Almanac. I hope you enjoyed that commercial. Now I'm back to uh, explain to Elliot about bee air bead. That's that's what I'm going with air bead. Nope. You like that? He he said he was going to map out our. Well, I said he was going to map out, but I want to figure out how he's going to control drone drift because that sounds like a bunch of malarkey to me. You, <laughs> drone I don't drift. think he can control bees, and I'm just picturing Andy like he's in fucking Avatar: The Last Airbender, but with bees. See, I was thinking like Tokyo Drift, but with bees. I think that would be a good movie, right? Is Tokyo Drift a movie, or is that like a part of a series? Nah, it's a fucking movie, but my my bit was better. Fine, fine. You know what? Let's talk about these drones, all right? Yeah. So the science... Who's the hip one now? Yeah, it's always been you, Elliot. We know this. That's right. So the science on this, while I said that we kind of understood it, we really don't. Like, it's... It's like, we understand enough to know we don't know anything. And what that means is that we know it has a relationship with, like, the horizon and typical, uh, and typically a key feature of the landscape, like the, the edge of a tree in a field or an opening in a forest. We don't really understand basically any reason why, but it seems like it's on, like, these marginal spaces. Okay, so we've talked about edge spaces and marginal spaces many times before on this show, but... All in all, based on that answer, you don't know. We don't know. We know they're edging, but we don't know where they're going. Yeah, I <laughs> swear you are just killing me slowly like a poison. Yes. I don't know how long it's going to take for me to die, but I'm not going to do this. How long does it take gold to kill somebody? I'm just trying to remember. Like a sliver a day for like 10 years? Is that a thing? How long have we been doing this podcast? 10 years, I think. Am I You're dead? Alive. <laughs> am I dead? Did, am I dead? <laughs> I brought you back just for the podcast. Like, listen, you can't get rid of my black guy. Come on. You think I can replace him? Look at him. Reanimated with just blind fury. <laughs> so these bees, maybe you can like, can you like GPS a bee? BPS? Ah. Oh my God. All right. So really though. We've talked about like the problems we've got with drones. We've talked a little bit about that. They they do offer us some really interesting abilities to know what's going on in the hive. They're also really helpful when we break open a hive and for controlling issues like, for example, varroa mites. They can often act as like an early bellwether for mite issues because the varroa just love themselves a good fucking drone. 
So you want to try to like just capture drones and then use them as bait for mites? Is that even possible? Well, not necessarily capture, but we can take advantage of understanding how drones exist in a hive to track and even in some cases eliminate Varroa without the use of like literally anything except the drones. Oh man, it still sounds fake when you say it, but go on. Okay, so I haven't gotten to try this yet. I was hoping to try it uh, this past year, but I didn't need to, which is really cool and what we'll talk about a little bit with the last episode. But Kim Flotum, who's a, a prominent bee author and researcher, has a system that he uses for keeping his bees from ever having mite issues. And it's fairly simple if you understand how beehives work. Cool, cool. But what if you don't? It's actually still pretty simple, even then. So we talked a little while ago about how drones exist on the edge of the hive, right? What he discovered is that if you put in new frames with no comb on the edges of your mediums, then you can basically like use those as they fill them out because they're the newest drone homes on the edges, right? If you're going to get mites, that's the spot you're going to get mites. So as long as you keep an eye on those edges, those new frames you put in, not necessarily the last frame, but usually like the second to last frame, um, you can use that basically as... I'm going to pull this frame out, check on it, and guess what? If I have Varroa right here, I'm just going to get rid of it, and it doesn't get into the rest of the hive. Let me try to put this in like non-beekeeper terms. They take these uh, frames and put them on the edges. So the new drone homes are pushed to the edge, and that sort of sets that trap that I was sort of saying earlier, where these new homes are going to be the vulnerability for the hive. And if the Varroa mites are going to show up, that's where they're going to go. So you just basically wait and check on those frames, and if the mites do show up, then you just get rid of the frames and they haven't infected the rest of the hive yet. Is that it? Exactly. It's bait, basically. And you obviously don't want to, you can't be doing it to each medium, you know, each box every week or anything like that. So usually it's on like a cycle between all of your mediums and supers, right? Where you're, well, not your supers, but your mediums, uh, where you're going to be pulling out the f second to first and second to last frames, checking them every three weeks, two weeks, depending on if you're using uh, what size frames you're using. And um, basically you're just doing this constant cycle of checking um, to see if your mite traps caught anything, pulling it out. So you're setting up mite traps, and you're using the drones as bait on the outsides of the hives. Yeah, and in this process, according to Kim, uh, this has kept him from having any mite problems for years. And that's it. Um, what he does is he takes any mite-infested comb and feeds it to his chickens. The key, though, is you have to be really adamant about this, because the second they show up, like, you got to get them out of there pretty much immediately. And we've talked about the fact that I'm not a huge advocate for the idea of going into your hives very often, if at all. Um, I prefer to only go in and actually inspect maybe twice a year. Again, we'll talk a little bit more about that in a later episode. But this doesn't go with that theory, but I think this is better than using chemicals, right? So this is a really good way to get in there if you're trying to reduce your chemical use. And this can be a really good way to basically set up trap to reduce your mites. Yeah, and we said like a holistic approach earlier in the episode, but this is reminding me back to uh, the Milpas episode where they had like sacrificial bacon on the outside of where they grew, you know, their main crop. And so it didn't really like, yeah, it's just bait. It's yeah. the same idea. It, exactly. It's about working with the system and not trying to like 
make it all work and stuffing and in this case stuffing it into a box quite literally right uh, i guess it's the, it's more like making a bottleneck for like the negative parts of the system you don't really like so you can sort of check it or keep things in check without losing you know all your hard work and stuff exactly you know i think like with this you're while it's going to have um some marginal negative benefits for your drone counts the research is actually showing that it's not as bad as you might think. There are less drones. If you don't take breaks from the cycle, it can lead to a limited amount of drones or even no drones at all. But the goal is that once there's no mites showing up to give the rotation a little bit of a break and then you know get some of those drones hatching again, and then you can continue that cycle all over again. Okay. I feel like we're just droning on at this point about this particular uh, section here. <laughs> Ooh, Elliot, yeah. spending too much time with me. Yeah, I need a vacation. Yeah, me too. But but the thing about the drones is you can get down to zero mites with no chemicals. And that's just like, think like we think about how much money is spent on chemicals and the problems that we're having from it. And that's like surreal that we have the technology and it's like mind-blowingly simple. Like literally anyone can do it. You don't have to, you know, be a bee wizard to be able to do this, right? So you just have to be on top of things. And there might be, because of this practice, only a few small windows when you're actually having those drones hatch out. Right. And this also means less drains on that food supply. So the hive won't or shouldn't collapse at this point if you're doing it at a, at a regular frequency. Yeah. And that's a, that's a perfect segue, Elliot, because we do need to talk about drone food because it is a bit different. So are they bulking up? They got to do all. They got to do all that drone work. Yeah, more or less, actually. Got to get them gains. Yeah. So I actually kind of went down a rabbit hole in this one, like way beyond the depths I really understood. That said, what I found seems like a really big deal around drones. So we talked about the fact that drones, because they carry the same exact genetics of their mother, are particularly valuable, right? Yeah, they're basically queens themselves, but not. The queen not, of the, not queen of the hive, but like they could be if they wanted to. Yeah, they have the genetic material of the queens if they just wanted to fart out like a billion babies. They're ultimately unfertilized eggs, right? So like, let's back up a bit to the beginning of the life cycle of drones. A group of folks decided to spend some time studying just drones in a hive, having marked them individually to track their movement and you know, all that important stuff. For the, the first few days of their lives, they're fed entirely by workers. Like old money capitalists? Basically. By the time they're a week old, they're basically feeding themselves. Now that seems quick, right? Sure. Well, the worker bees feeding them are often their age or younger, as young as sometimes two days old. I mean, it seems like they're breaking some sort of bee child labor laws, but I don't know if they have those. Right? But, uh, you know, what are they eating? Beady, you sure? See? It's not hard, dude. Bad dad jokes. It's the comedy of the masses and the poor pearls almanac. TM. I love TM. it. TM. Comedy of the masses, the poor pearls almanac. In terms of our bees, they're not having beady, sure, but something quite similar. They're being fed royal jelly as larvae about three days. And the quality of the royal jelly is really important in drone quality and in turn, the sperm production. So we're really going to talk about the birds and the bees, like, at the same time? We be about it. Motherfucker. Here at the Raytheon Technologies Corporation, we believe children are the future, just not the ones on the other end of our products. Like our RIM-7 Sea Sparrow anti-aircraft missile system, 
the most environmentally friendly anti-aircraft missile produced anywhere today. We're mindful of our environmental legacy here, which is why today we're introducing a new line of pollinator-friendly stinger missiles. This lightweight, portable system includes a native wildflower mix that scatters upon impact. You're welcome, bees. Raytheon. Pack a punch, plant a bunch. All right, we're back. I think Elliot had a stroke, but he he seems to be recovering. So we're gonna we're gonna I'm move just, forward. I'm scratching you, my head you over. You got this. I'm scratching my head over here. Like, what is royal jelly? And like, can I put it on toast? Yeah, we can be royals. I think that song's too old now for that joke. Um, it's got to be like 20 years old now. Which is it really? No, I have no idea. No, we can be royals. I feel like that was in college. So Lord, I don't know. yeah, it might be 20. It's like 13 years old now, right? That song's a teenager. Oh man! All I need, what we really need to do, is an episode that's things that were things that we think are still new, but are actually teenagers, like Chumbawamba. Yeah, that song was released in fucking 2013. Like I said, it's like it's 12 years old, not 13. Sorry. All right, so maybe we can have a birthday party. Teen? Is there a special name for teenager birthday parties? Like your first teenager birthday? There should be, right? That seems like a big deal. I don't know. Every teenage birthday party I've ever seen is like a dare commercial or something. Where they tell you how to do drugs? I don't think teenagers are supposed to party, man. It's not cool. Okay. So we we are terribly off track. All right. So let's talk about Royal Jelly. That's That was the point here. That was my um, first question, yes. What is it? What is it? So it's a substance that's secreted by workers for uh, a short period of time early in their lives. It's like, uh, I don't know, like the, the pre-mother's milk uh, stuff for human babies. Uh, the way you said human babies was really uncomfortable for me. Yeah, it should be. Uh, it does feel redundant you know it's kind of like we're inferring that alien babies might like accidentally exist well not necessarily alien babies just i figured most people when they say like babies you just specify they mean like human babies unless otherwise specified like if they said like bee babies i would know they were talking about bees i don't know it seems really human centric of you elliot like kind of speciesist like let's let's tone it down a little bit i guess but when other species start talking to me maybe i'll broaden my horizons <laughs> Well said. The point is that this stuff is super important for the health of, like, all of the bees moving forward. Now, after the first three days, uh, they transition to this worker jelly, which is kind of like the the bee rate royal jelly. Get it? Bee rate? <laughs> yeah. You just... Yeah. It's also called bee bread, so it's kind of like, you know, your, your white bread. Okay, so bee bread and royal jelly are the same thing. So you can't put well, royal jelly of. on like bee, bee bread. It's like bee rate royal jelly. It's like the staler um, royal jelly. It's okay. like the royal the royal crust, you might say. So bee bread is stale jelly, but like in a good way. I'm confused. Good. <laughs> so we've we've got our royal jelly for everyone for a short period of time. Then everyone but the queen switches to worker jelly. But here's where new findings in the past year or two have discovered some really, uh, I guess you could call it important stuff that probably won't come to much of a surprise to our audience. Oh, here we go. All our smart people listening out there. Yeah. So we're all familiar with our favorite, favorite chemicals, the uh, neonicotinoids, right? You know, pesticides. Previous research inferred that royal jelly remains pesticide-free during colony-level exposure, and that chemical residues are buffered by the nurse bees. So the nurse bees, not leaving the colony yet, were the, they were buffered from direct exposure to the pesticides. So at least, you know, the stuff that they were feeding the babies was 
for all intents and purposes, sterile, because they've never been outside the hive. Exactly. But surprise, turns out that's not true. The impacts of pesticides are there, just more subtle. Researchers found that it uh, manifests in quality and quantity of the uh, royal jelly produced by the nurse bees. They found differences in the compositions of royal jelly synthesized by nurse bees from multi-pesticide-exposed colonies, including significant reductions of key nutrients. Okay, so we're not the only ones eating empty calories here. Welcome to the rest of the U.S. civilization, bees. Uh, wait till you get your first tax bill. Because I mean, all the chemicals honest, leached out in the water would you secrete and stuff from your little glands to feed to your babies. It happens to us too. <laughs> yeah. They're they're basically more human than corporations. So like, you know, the least they could do is pay taxes. That would actually make them more human than companies because corporations don't pay taxes. You got them there. <laughs> I got them there. As though that's not enough. The quantity of royal jelly provision per queen was lower in the colonies exposed to pesticides, but this effect was colony dependent. Pesticide treatment had a greater impact on royal jelly nutritional composition than the weight of royal jelly provision per queen cell. Not only is this obviously bad stuff happening where we're getting less and lower quality, which, you know, you would think might lead to cascading effects, there's also other research pointing out that worker bees and pesticide exposure colonies show reduction in, get ready for it, gland height and altered hypopharyngeal gland. I probably pronounced that wrong. We're going to call it HPG, site physiology. Yeah, hypopharyngeal. I didn't think bees had throats, though, so I don't know what the hell that is. Yeah, it's, uh, it's the gland responsible for making royal and worker jelly. Got it. So our, our good friend, the HPG gland, is it HPG gland or HP? Yeah, we're just going to go with HP gland. So it's like HP, the computers, but not. So the, the HP gland of nurse bees, which are responsible for producing much of the protein found in these jellies, are smaller, weaker, and produce worse quality of jelly, as though, you know, you didn't just listen to the rambling of bad things I just talked about, even though they've never been individually exposed to those pesticides since they've never left the hive. Okay, so the HP gland gets fucking shriveled up and isn't producing good jelly anymore. What's the impact on the bees that that inferior jelly is being fed to? Also, inferior jelly is probably, a, sounds like a good band name, I think. It could be. It could be. Or you think it should be an album? Yeah, maybe an album. You know, I could see a nice follow-up. You know, the the follow-up with uh, special special artist Bread Pit. I think it'd be a good good one. Now, let's focus on the drones, since, you know, that's the whole point of this episode, right? So this inferior jelly... I'm trademark that, so trademark. This inferior jelly, TM, leads to smaller drones, as evidenced in some studies, which shows some correlation between drone size and sperm volume and quality. So they're becoming infertile, just like people would when you start messing with certain glands. <laughs> it's almost <laughs> like, it's almost like, hear me out. The things that are negatively impacting us are also negatively impacting all the other species being exposed to it. That doesn't make any sense. I'm going to need to see some more science on that. Mm, provided by Marlboro, Dow, Monsanto, who else? You know, the conglomerate that owns all of the things. Conglomo. Oh, let's just go with conglomo. Oh. For, for the audience members who don't know who conglomo is, Elliot. I know what Rocco's Modern Life. It's the Hell conglomerate yeah. corporation that ran the entire world because we live there now. And yeah, I'm really conglomo. not sure if I'm Rocco or Filbert. I don't know. 
I'm definitely Heifer. Wait, I'm Heifer. You're Philbert. Holy shit, Matt, you're Rocco. He does have the he accent. He hacks the accent and everything. <laughs> you're Australian now. Congratulations. You're also vegetarian, so I don't know how you feel about that. He's silent. It's fine. What all of this means is that researchers have discovered the hive has realized this is happening. It's aware this is happening to its drones. So their solution has been to increase the amount of drones being produced with the expectation that fewer of them will be able to mate. This obviously also means more energy is going to producing things that don't provide anything for the hive, which ultimately leads to higher instances of swarming and hive failure and generally like bad things because they're using more energy than they used to need. Okay, so generally I'm hearing short-term gain, long-term loss. Yeah, basically. So this isn't the only thing impacting drones, obviously, but it is a big one. We just talked about how all of the bees are impacted by pesticide exposure. And while worker bees are also impacted by pesticides personally, the environment in the hive can significantly delay development as well. Is this like degenerative stuff? Like, does it make them fall apart or does it just make them less fertile? So in this case, we're talking about plasticity. The research shows that the bees are physically developing differently because of the quality of the jelly. So in this one study done in 2021, they took a look at drone larvae and stuck them in queen cells and worker cells. So they were fed jelly just like they were queens and workers. Now, you would think that the worker jelly would make no impact since that's what they're also fed. And that being a queen means they'd get bigger and stronger from that royal jelly, right? Yeah, I understood some of those words. So I'm just going to say yes. So instead, they actually delayed their development in maturing their male body parts, and even in both cases had smaller sex organs. <laughs> I just heard Alex Jones in my head, dude. They're turning the, they're turning the bees gay. Turning the bees gay. Buy my muscle milk. Science. <laughs> the sci so science is uh, turning the frogs gay. Oh, man. We, we talk about Alex Jones too much for a show that is not about Alex Jones. I mean, how can you not laugh at him? It's just so funny. The con <laughs> I'm talking about the coffee beans was the best. Oh man, uh, they're communists, but they're not communists. They do they do some good work. He was, he was, they, yeah, he was, best best coffee. Yeah, he was pitching communist co coffee, trying to <laughs> yeah. make it sound like it wasn't that. They're in communes, but it's not communist. Yeah, it was great. If you haven't seen that clip, go check it out. It's got to be still on the internet. So anyways, like the whole point here is that this highlights that we don't actually know a whole lot about drones and the things that impact their biology. We're, we're very much in the early stages of understanding this. And this is something that we've always kind of dismissed as drones don't matter. They go, they fuck, and they die. That's always been the, the narrative. And just in the last five, 10 years, that, that's starting to change really quickly. And I imagine 10 years from now, looking back at this episode, there's going to be a whole lot of science that we didn't understand that dismisses some of this, right? Now, we'd always thought they'd gotten the same worker jelly as workers, but the evidence doesn't suggest that's the case. I spent like a lot of time doing this episode, doing the research on drones. And one of the things that, for whatever reason, seems to be an area of deep, deep discussion is bee sperm. So uh, I'm about to drop a load of knowledge on you, Elliot. <sighs> I don't like I don't like the pun, and I don't like the fact he never warns me or the listeners before it, so it just makes it sound like it's going to be like unenjoyable. <laughs> it's it's never enjoyable with me. Nah, and then so, the subject matter at hand is just beeches. Sorry, right, let's just do, yeah. let's do it. Let's beeches. Let's do it. Let's do so it. So we we focused on what is impacting the health of male bees, such as body size, weight, age, sperm quality during long term storage in the queens. Can can we not? We're, we're already doing it. Just go. 
Fine. We we won't talk about the beaches itself. All right. Uh, there is one last thing I do want to talk about because it gets a lot of attention: the native versus domestic pollinator argument, and that's the impacts of limited pollen. While we already dedicated an episode to pollen and native versus non-native insects, uh, some research has pointed out that drone brood rearing itself was not instantly abandoned in colonies with limited access to pollen. Colonies with limited pollen access raised smaller drones, which ejaculated. <laughs> Really? Wait, really? You're going to miss the chance to say be ejaculated. That, I got you to say it now. So uh, they did that in fewer numbers and released smaller amounts of semen. Now, the quality was considered equal, too. What's particularly important that was discovered in this research was that access to pollen during larval development directly affects the reproductive quality of drones. Okay, so it seems that the larval stage carries a lot of weight. Uh, of the success of drones. So when they're in their little worm fucking stage, before they look like bees, they just look like little, grubs. little grubs getting fed royal jelly. They look like Alex Jones. Holy shit, they kind of do. <laughs> they yeah, do. but that whole stage, that larval stage seems to be really important for the overall success of the drones and the overall success for the genetics of the hive. And the whole species, right? Yeah. It all points to the fact that drones really are, like, as much as we we just say they're, they're just, like, these things flying around with, like, jizz, they are really the most important things impacting the future viability of honeybees. And, you know, I personally think they've gotten far too little attention, and there's there's just a lot of things stacked against them. Yeah, so he's like a bee men's rights advocate. I did not see For, for fucking deadbeat drone bee dads. That's <sighs> how we started this episode. Yeah, we did. I'm sorry. This was a mistake. We got to fix it. We have 30 seconds. Go. No, we're done. I think we've covered drones enough. The The point I wanted to get across is like, there's a lot going on with drones. We don't respect them enough. We need to be paying more attention to the holistic effects of, on the hive from drones. And um, that's really it. You know, we it's time for us to wrap this up, I guess. Like, uh, you know, Monsanto is trying to wrap up life on Earth. That's all I'm saying here. Yeah, I'm just going to say when you said neonicotinoids, uh, it sounds like fentanyl put in cigarettes. And I haven't had a cigarette in like a month now. I'm trying to quit. Oh, good. Nice. And it's, I, it's awful. I hate it. It's terrible. You'll get there, though, buddy. I'm so I proud know. of you. Ugh. Thank well, you all. We hope you Hopefully all enjoyed, enjoyed our episode about bees, our drone bees. We've been droning on forever. Yeah. Just for you. Now you know that they ejaculate and they like bread but if it's not good bread or if it's the best bread it's jelly but i don't this and is, this when alex jones has his episode on turning the bees gay you'll have heard it here first yeah let him know trademarked tm tm out